I'm Kate Daniels. Dr. Nazir Ibrahim's world consists of dinosaurs. He's quite passionate about these prehistoric creatures, and his passion is contagious. He joins us to give insight on his work and about some great new dinosaur books from National Geographic. Dr. Nazir Ibrahim, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us once again. Hi, thanks for having me again. Well, it is so wonderful. I was so excited that the opportunity came up again this year to talk about dinosaurs a little differently because June is Dinosaur Month. Yeah, well, there's, um, well June 1st is National Dinosaur Day. And then there's uh, Dinomania Month in, uh, in May, which is National Geographic is celebrating. But then there are a few other Dinosaur Day sprinkles throughout the year, actually. So I think, you know, soon we'll end up with a calendar where every day is Dinosaur Day. But that's your kind of calendar, isn't it? Absolutely. It should be everybody's kind of calendar, right? <laughs> well, yes, exactly. And you did certainly get my uh, intrigue uh, fired up last year when we first had an opportunity to talk about dinosaurs. And and so I've seen videos and, and looked at some of the YouTubes, and, and it's just so amazing all that's going on. And of course, you're as a, a world-renowned paleontologist, right in the middle of this. So at this point in time, as as we talk, you're actually uh, in the United Kingdom and you're doing research or teaching? Uh, both. And, um, you know, I'm, I do quite a lot of um, uh, field work as well. So um, uh, next week I'm actually going to be in the Sahara Desert digging for fossils. So uh, you're catching me right before uh, uh, a big, um, you know, expedition trip. Okay. Well, that is very exciting. So the Sahara is where you made one of your very big, your, but also the world's very big finds in terms of dinosaurs, correct? Yeah. Um, we really found an entire lost world in the Sahara. It's, it's really an entire uh, ancient ecosystem um, 100 million years ago, that's how all the rocks are that we work in most of the time, um, this place was actually home to a huge river system. So you find fossils of giant fish and crocodile-like hunters. Uh, but certainly the most impressive, most bizarre creature we unearthed is a giant predatory dinosaur, Spinosaurus. And that was really the, uh, the king of this ancient ecosystem. It was a dinosaur like no other with crocodile-like jaws and a paddle-like tail. It was a dinosaur, um, mostly at home in the water. So it was a very unusual creature. We typically think of dinosaurs as land-dwelling animals. Well, this one broke the mold and um, became a, a river monster, essentially. And if memory serves me, this dinosaur, uh, this skeleton, was pretty much intact or largely so, correct? Yeah, it's it's been a, a side that just, you know, kept giving because um, every time we thought that there was nothing else to be found at the site, we ended up finding more things. And, um, you know, our Spinosaurus now ranks as um, the most complete um, Cretaceous age uh, predatory dinosaur from uh, mainland Africa. It, and when this started to happen and as it continues to what is it that it feels like for you? How are you feeling about it? Well, it's, of course, the kind of discovery that uh, you always hope you will make one day. And I've been very uh, fortunate in that we made a number of incredible discoveries, not just Spinosaurus, but we also found remains of 
um, giant flying reptiles and um, everything from snake uh, snakes to um, crocodile-like hunters. Um, so really uh, amazing prehistoric menagerie. And every time we uncover something new, of course, it's a, it's a magical moment, right? Um, because you're you're looking at, at things that nobody else has has looked at before, and um, you essentially get a chance to become a real life time traveler, and that's pretty amazing. So you're going back to the Sahara to continue in the same area to search for further fossils? Yeah, we're actually um, casting a wide net. We're going to a number of different places. Um, at this point, I actually have multiple dinosaur sites um, I want to visit where we know bones are um, uh, cropping, you know, visible at the surface. Um, and um, so those are the kinds of places we're, we're looking for, you know, places where um, few bones are sticking out of the surface. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. At this point, we have so many sites we have to go and, and, and work at. Um, it's uh, really hard to find the time. <laughs> oh, I guess some people would say, uh, you know, what what a terrible situation that there's just such an abundance. Where to start? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and of course, in the bigger picture, um, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic time to be a dinosaur paleontologist because, of course, we know that we're now in this golden age of dinosaur discoveries and we're finding out so many incredible things at such a, an accelerating rate. Um, but at the same time, it's also important to remember that, yes, this is a golden age, but there's still a lot we don't know about the age of dinosaurs. And I guess that's, new, uh, that, that's good news for for budding young paleontologists listening today, um, there's still many incredible dinosaurs out there just waiting to be uncovered because, uh, you know, really we're just scratching the surface. You know, if we're talking about the Sahara, for example, you know, we're talking about a, a desert that's the size of the United States. <laughs> that's a really big desert. And, um, you know, if you just think about the number of places you could visit in the Sahara to search for fossils, it's mind-boggling. So, you know, there's still um, a, a lot just waiting to be uncovered. So I'm curious about the fact that some of these fossils, the bones are sticking up out of the sand. Is it because the desert is constantly changing and, and the winds perhaps reveal, blow away the sand and reveal it? Or, or what, what is going on? Is it just because it is so vast, you find new areas? Yeah, I mean, you know, the elements are an ally and an enemy, you know, mm. because the wind exposes fossils and so you know if we get there at just the right moment we can excavate them but if we miss the right moment the elements will just turn those bones to dust you know they'll just crumble away erode out and you know there's nothing left to collect so um so you always have to be at the right time at, at the you know in the right place um and of course deserts have a big advantage um there's not a lot of vegetation there so, you know, it's much easier to spot fossils um, because um, the surface is not obscured by, um, you know, all those plants that you, you get in many other places. But it would seem to me, it, it would also be that the bones would blend into the sand and the dunes and that sort of thing. Is that ever an issue? Yeah, they kind of do, but you'd be surprised. Um, you know, I sometimes take students to the desert, and some of them have never, um, you know, looked for fossils before. And it only takes them a, a few days, and then they really develop a good eye, mm. um, you know, when it comes to spotting fossils. 
and uh, and so you'll see them picking up things. And sometimes you can tell just looking at a, a fossil. Um, but sometimes, sometimes you'll find something, and you might wonder, well, is this a fossil or is this a rock? And so um, the secret to finding out is you have to lick it because if your tongue sticks to it, then it's a fossil. And there's little openings in the bone, and so your tongue sticks to the surface. Um, if it doesn't stick to it, it's just a rock, and you can throw it away. Uh, and one doesn't have to worry about germs and such because, I mean, going through the sand like that, isn't it somewhat of a cleanser? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the Sahara just kind of bakes everything. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it's not, a lot, not, not a lot of pollution out there. And so, yeah, germs are kind of the least of our worries out there. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, snakes and scorpions and other things to worry about. But uh, if you're going to lick a, a rock or a stone, this is the place to do it. So what about budding paleontologists here in our area? We've got some desert around Washington State. So if they're out in the desert looking at rocks, is it something that it's, you know, we can say parents, it's okay. They can lick a rock just to ch- check out whether it's a fossil. Yeah, I think I think we have to give kids an opportunity to be real explorers, you know. I think it's it's always tempting to kind of be overprotective and you know, but it's very important, you know, when when young kids are kind of um you know, natural explorers, you know, they want to find out more about the world around them, they want to explore. And so we should give them plenty of opportunities to to do that. Um I think it's very important. It helps them build a connection with with nature. Um, and, you know, fossil hunting is a really great um, experience. There's some fantastic places in the United States. You can go and hunt for dinosaur bones or you can go to places um, where dinosaurs left tracks behind and so you can go dinosaur tracking. Um, and, of course, you can also visit local museums. That's another really good way to get, uh, you know, um, future paleontologists, um, you know, excited about, about our natural world. Oh, absolutely. And of course, another really great way to do it, and National Geographic Kids, National Geographic in general, is just so outstanding in terms of giving us this opportunity through the world of books and their magazines. But National Geographic Kids has some incredible books on so many topics, but certainly dinosaurs. And I hold two wonderful copies in front of me, the 1,000 Facts About Dinosaurs, Fossils, and Prehistoric Life, and also Weird But True Dinosaurs. So I know that you value this um relationship that you have with National Geographic because it gives us this opportunity to have a good conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's been a fantastic, um, you know, partnership um, over the years. And, you know, one of the things I, I care about very deeply is, you know, I want to get people, especially young people, excited about science and exploration. And if that's what you want to do, you know, you can't really wish for a better partner than National Geographic. And so, you know, because, you know, the National Graphic Magazine appears in, you know, many different language editions. You know, I've worked on documentary films and exhibits and, yes, also Nat Geo Kids books. Um, so it's a fantastic platform. Um, and, and, yes, I've, I've worked on some of these Nat Geo Kids uh, dinosaur books. And it, the, the one thing I really like about National Geographic is that they take the science really seriously, you know. So when I work um, on, on some of these books as a scientific advisor, you know, I mean, they really want to get all the details right. And that's actually um, not very common. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of 
uh, books out there where, you know, the, the fact-checking is a little on the lighter side. But the Net Zero ones, I mean, they really take it very seriously, and that's, that's great. So you know that you're getting something that you know, has a solid scientific basis and, and the latest science. So definitely look at your favorite book sources for these wonderful editions, these books about dinosaurs and other things, but certainly right here as we talk about uh, dinosaur uh, awareness and with Dr. Ibrahim, who is a paleontologist, preparing for this uh, a new, what, excursion into the Sahara. So how large a, a party of um students and uh, professional staff do you take with you uh it really depends on this upcoming trip we're gonna have uh we're gonna be 12 people um three cars you know three week vehicles and um you know for for some it's going to be the first um experience of working in the sahara so it's you know the adventure of a lifetime mm. others are you know veteran uh team members uh, one thing we'll have to be, um, you know, careful about on this one is just, um, you know, the, the temperatures, right? It's right. very hot in the Sahara in, in June. And so, you know, I think we're looking at temperatures of, you know, 110, 115 or so at the moment. Um, so, you know, we have to make sure we stay hydrated. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very different from watching adventures in, in a Hollywood movie, right? Um, where everything is fake and you know, make believe. Uh, when you're out there, it's, uh, you know, it's when you realize, wow, this is, this is a real life adventure. So in preparation for it, well, how long will you be at the site? Uh, it really depends. This is going to be a fairly um, short trip just because sometimes you're just going out there to scout um, new localities, you're going to some of these fossil sites I mentioned early on, you try to find out how much work needs to be done at each one of those sites, and then you come back on a big um, expedition, and that's what I'm planning to do later this year. Actually, I have two expeditions planned, um, and then we'll actually spend a lot more time digging uh, versus you know, kind of scouting and, and uh, going on a reconnaissance trip, essentially. So how long will that be? A, a couple of weeks, possibly? Yeah, sometimes we go for um, three weeks, you know, usually not longer than four weeks because there's so many other things, you know, we all need to do. Uh, you mentioned early on, you know, also have teaching to do and, you know, administrative work and, and so on. So, uh, but yeah, around three weeks, I guess, would probably be an average. So I'm just curious if you go for three to four weeks and you were just saying how the temperatures are going to be 110 or even higher in the desert, you need to stay hydrated. How do you ever keep enough fluid? How do you have enough water around for that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, one thing that we found works uh, well is, um, you know, so you drink your water, but you also um, take some uh, additional electrolyte capsules and, and other things that help you um, maintain the right levels of everything. Uh, so it's not just about drinking the water. You also want to make sure that, um, you know, you, you, it's not just about the hydration. You want to make sure that you don't run low on salts and other things. So, um, you know, we kind of figured out what we need to pour into our water bottles to make sure we stay, you know, healthy. But it's, it's a challenge, you know, um, because when it gets really hot, um, as you said, you know, 
doesn't matter how much you drink, you always feel like you're kind of dehydrated. So it's, it's tough. You, you lose a lot of weight. It's a, it's a great workout. So there isn't like a helicopter that'll come along and, and bring you some supplies midway through the trip. Well, that's the thing. You know, if you go dinosaur hunting in, you know, Wyoming or Montana, you know, you kind of, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, but you're not really far from, you know, help. And, you know, um, you know, people will be able to get you medical help and what have you. The Sahara is a really big place. And, um, you know, there are places where you know that, you know, if you get bitten by a venomous snake or something, you know, then you're in real trouble because getting you to a hospital is going to be a, a drive of many, many hours. And, you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an amazing place. I mean, the Sahara is a magical, beautiful place, but you also need to respect this environment. You know, it can also be a dangerous place. And so do you have someone with some medical uh, qualifications that is part of your team? Yeah, usually we do. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, it, it obviously helps. Like, you know, we had uh, our team medic on, on a couple of our expeditions. Um, it was also a great, um, you know, excavator, you know, finding fossils and digging out fossils. So, um, but yeah, you know, every now and then you need someone um, with, uh, you know, the, the, the right experience. But, you know, it takes a special kind of person to do that in the middle of the Sahara. Um, but, um, you know, there's only so much you can do. Um, as I said, you know, if you happen to, to have a very close encounter with a snake, that's when you kind of realize, wow, you know, um, this, this is a close one because, you know, this is something that you can't just treat in the field. You really need to, to get to a hospital that actually has snake antivenom and what have you. So, um, but I always have to put things into perspective because people think oh, that this is, you know, a very, um, dangerous kind of place but i think statistically statistically speaking there's certainly many um uh you know urban areas in the united states um that are statistically speaking more dangerous um than than the sahara that's also something worth keeping in mind or you know the the risk that we all take every day when we're driving around on on the highway so i think that yes there are snakes and scorpions but i would also say that you know People sometimes forget just how dangerous it can be to, you know, walk around some neighborhoods of Chicago or Los Angeles at night, you know. So it's uh, all a matter of perspective. Yes. Uh, very good point on that. And in terms then, though, of of yourself and being in the desert, have you ever had any kind of a dangerous situation like that occur, in, an encounter with a scorpion? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the last time we were in the Sahara, before the pandemic, um, you know, we, we had special lights that you can use to actually make the scorpions kind of glow in the dark, right? And we just wanted to, you know, for fun, see if we could spot any scorpions. But then we turned the light on. Uh, we just saw that they were everywhere, you know, <laughs> all around us. We just hadn't seen them before. So we certainly have, you know, the occasional close encounter with scorpions. We had close encounters with snakes, including these horns desert vipers so they're vipers with these little horns on, on top of their eyes um and they often lie in the sand kind of camouflaged so you just see these little horns sticking out of the sand uh we experience sandstorms and even flooding in the sahara that happens at certain times of the year um and you know in some areas we, we work in military zones or very remote areas where we need a, an armed military escort so sometimes we'll have several soldiers um accompanying us um, you know, for, for for protection. So, yeah, I mean, we've had a, a few close encounters and close calls, but, uh, you know, um, 
it's it's uh, you know you, you you try your best preparing for um, all possible scenarios, but then you know you're in a place like the Sahara, so you know there's there will always be unexpected things happening. But so far, we've always managed to um, you know bring everyone back alive, <laughs> and um, we found incredible fossils, and we also. Uh, know that we're very privileged, you know, being able to go to these places because these are really amazing um, parts of our planet. The Sahara is pretty amazing because it's one of the few places that hasn't really been tamed by by humans, if you know what I mean. You know, there's there are areas where there are no roads, no internet, um, you know, no big cities, and and that's um, you know that's not a very common sight in 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 our normal lives. Oh, indeed. As our world keeps shrinking, this is still yeah. such a remote area. So here you are going on a, a a a new scouting mission to for a couple of digs that are going to be going on later this year, and will this uh, well you're scouting so you're not sure what you're looking for or do you have a sense of what you could anticipate to find? Well, I, I, let's put it this way: if you know exactly what you're going to find, it's not really much of an adventure, <laughs> right? It's not really exploration, but um, we kind of. Yeah, there are a couple of sites where we kind of know what we might find, but then there are also um, sometimes um, discoveries that were made by local people. So there's a, you know, a geologist, for example, who came across some dinosaur bones, and he's going to bring some of them to the university in Casablanca, where I'll be um, uh, staying for a couple of days, um, so I can look at them. And you know, maybe it's something interesting. Maybe that's one of the sites we're going to visit, right? So sometimes, you know, or sometimes it's just. Um, uh, you know, locals in, in remote villages in the, in the desert, you know, telling us about bones, um, you know, in a new locality, right? And so um, it's kind of a mix, right? So sometimes you just go out and, you know, explore virgin ground. Sometimes you're following a lead. Um, sometimes, you know, someone just brings you some bones and, you know, you realize that you have something really exciting on your hands. So, um, so yeah, it is a real uh, adventure because you don't really know what to expect. So the thing that's so amazing, and these books portray all these amazing pictures of these creatures, these dinosaurs, and the shapes and the astounding kinds of big uh, arches or big uh, kind of cones on their backs. How do you determine what they must have looked like? Well, there's a, a lot you can tell from, from looking at skeletons, right? I mean, skeletons... Um, preserve, in some cases, remarkable anatomical details. So you can see, for example, in the bones of some long-necked dinosaurs that these animals had a complex system of air sacs um, running through the neck bones, for example. And we see something similar in birds, right? It allows them to have this very efficient form of, 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 of breathing, of, um, you know, far more efficient than what, what, what mammals have, for example. Um, you can find attachment sites for muscles and bones. So you can reconstruct some of the big muscles um, on a dinosaur. Um, sometimes we find fossilized skin, so we actually know what the skin texture of some dinosaurs looks like. Um, sometimes we even find fossilized feathers in some dinosaurs. So we know that some dinosaurs had feathers, um, and that's also how we know that um, you know, birds are living dinosaurs, they're direct descendants of, of predatory dinosaurs. Um, and then, of course, there's always, you know, there are always certain things where... Um, you know, we'll be looking at living animals, um, and you know, 
in most cases, we cannot reconstruct the color of dinosaurs, for example. But you mentioned all these spectacular crests and frills and sails that dinosaurs had. Dinosaurs had these amazing display structures, a bit like a peacock's tail in, in some dinosaurs. And um, so it's very, very likely that dinosaurs were extremely visual animals. And we also know from their brain shape and structure um, that m many of them had very good vision. So they almost certainly... Um, have these very colorful display structures, just like their uh, living descendants, the birds, in many cases. Um, so, you know, I think it's a safe bet that dinosaurs, the world of dinosaurs was a pretty colorful and truly spectacular one. Um, but there's always this little, you know, a little room for imagination. And, um, and I think that's part of the appeal of dinosaurs, because no matter how many things we discover, we will never have a 100% accurate picture of T-Rex or Triceratops, right? And so, you know, we're kind of inching closer to, to this, you know, complete picture. But, um, you know, it's just out of reach, right? And, and that's an interesting place to be in for a scientist, right? I mean, obviously, you know, we, we made incredible progress and, and we can really understand dinosaurs as living animals now. But there's still a little room for imagination. I think that's, that's also part of the appeal for kids, right? I mean, kids are, you know, um, coloring, a tr coloring in a triceratops in, in the color, a coloring book, right? They, they can, you know, let their imagination go wild. Uh, yes, absolutely. And they have such amazing opportunities to uh, stimulate that imagination with looking through these books and then knowing that, you know, there's, there's still room for exploration to go on. Yeah, and, and across many different disciplines. I mean, you know, paleontology is really this amazing gateway to science for kids, right? Because with dinosaurs, you get you know, zoology, you know, you get science of animals, you get anatomy, you get um, geology, you know, fossils are found in rocks, of course. Um, you even get um, some extraterrestrial science because we know that the meteorite um, kind of brought the age of dinosaurs to an end um, there's just so many different areas of science, and I think many, many scientists, even the ones that ended up doing something very different from paleontology, um, many can trace their original interest in science back to an interest in dinosaurs. And, you know, I just can't help but want to include your own interest in dinosaurs, how that, I think, is something to think about in terms of our own kids, because as a child, uh, you'd received books about dinosaurs, and that really started your interest. Yeah, it did. I mean, it all started with a book. And for a child, it's just, I cannot, you know, emphasize this in, enough. You know, when I opened the pages of this book, my entire world changed because on the pages of this book on dinosaurs, I just discovered these incredible lost worlds that I didn't even know existed, right? I mean, you kind of know about, you know, elephants and rhinos and other animals that are around today. And then you find out about all these spectacular creatures that are kind of like the, the dragons of our mythology, you know? You look at T-Rex, you know, or, or some of these giant dinosaurs that would have weighed as much as an entire herd of elephants, and it just blows your mind, right? And it also is this moment when kids realize that this slice of time that we call the present is really just a tiny little chapter in this grand epic story. You know, once you realize that 99.9% .9 of all the animals that ever existed are extinct, I mean, that's huge, right? That's a bit like the moment when, when people first find out how small our planet is in the universe, right? I mean, it really teaches us some humility. 
Oh, yes. Well, you certainly stimulate a lot of interest and excitement in terms of science in general, but certainly uh, taking a look at at the ancient times, uh, looking millions of years ago at these creatures that roamed the earth, the planet. And uh, Dr. Ibrahim, I'm so grateful to you that uh, you are always so willing to share your enthusiasm and your knowledge with us. We should direct people to uh, the website to find out more information about all the books that National Geographic has for kids. Yeah, sure. Um, If you go to kids.nationalgeographic.com slash animals slash prehistoric, you will um, basically find the best starting point for uh, an exploration of all things prehistoric. You'll find out about the latest discoveries. Um, You know, you can look at uh, dinosaur posters, take a dinosaur quiz. Uh, But most importantly, you can look at the amazing range of of dinosaur-themed books they have. So this is really the best place to to start if you have a budding paleontologist at home. You know, there's just uh, it's an embarrassment of riches, and there's lots of really, really good ones out there. And you're certainly doing your part to contribute, and you will continue to do so because you have these uh, excursions coming up throughout the rest of the year. So I hope next year you will get to get an update on some of your findings. Oh, yeah. I can already, I can't (laughs) reveal too much, but I can tell you that we have some really amazing discoveries in the pipeline. I'm also working on a very, very exciting um, exhibit project. It's, you know, the greatest show on earth, essentially, (laughs) with dinosaurs. So some really exciting things happening this summer. And uh, yeah, so next year I'll have some very, very exciting new uh, discoveries I can share with you. Well, I certainly, for one, look forward to it. But I think lots of young kiddos are as well. So thank you so greatly for who you are, the work that you do, and definitely for spending time with us this morning. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.